Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. Man, it's a little warm in the studio today as we start the show. Maybe that's because I've got my sweet scarf on to celebrate the day today. That's a handsome scarf you've got there. Thank you very much. This scarf is the reason I'm going to get to use one of my favorite words in sports, adrift, later in the program. That's right. Okay. We'll talk about that. There is a showdown betwixt the hosts of the morning meeting on tap for this weekend. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, we'll just have to have it out here in the Midwest instead of going to Stamford Bridge, where it would be uh, much more fun. to. Can we work that, that uh, into the budget of the show to where we do the show from uh, from, from Stamford Bridge? Yeah. I think that'd London. be fantastic. I think we can. I think we can. I think we can take producer Josh with us, and uh, we'd have a great time he in can, London. He can produce from, from uh, West London. Yes. Or I guess Northwest London. I think that'd be great. You're laughing like we wouldn't take you. We would totally take you. Look, it's budget time. We need to put these th- these it's ideas the in now. There. It's the getting there that makes me laugh. Well, okay. hey, man, you're not paying for it. It's a, it's a show expense. Right? Right. I have to ship the show over there in order to do that. Fish and chimps for everybody. Look, our comp- our comptroller is, is is completely listening, so oh, yeah. he's already put, put oh, he's nervous right putting now. the plans together now. Yes, yes, and he's also nervous just because he'd have to use the exchange rate. The international right. corporate credit card. Yes, and he doesn't know whether to go from dollars to euros or pounds. So, he, yeah, there's a lot of... It's, it's pounds, dude. There's a, there, there, there's a lot of can't, can't uh, confirm. worry. Pounds. Worry. Well, sure, that's the native one, but they still take the euro based on what the exchange rate is. You've got a lot of decisions to make. This is uh, true. And it would all be riding on on his ability to get that done. So a lot of worry there. <laughs> Governor Bruce Browder has decided to take steps to allow more than 200,000 Illinois residents to remain eligible for food stamps under a unique Illinois waiver. This averts a uh, year-end cutoff that had, uh, quote, alarmed social service advocates. So here's what's going on. Okay, break it down. Sources in the Router administration have said, yes, the governor will apply to renew a federal waiver that since 2009 has exempted Illinois from federal requirements. Let's see. What happened in 2009 that would have gotten Illinois special favors on federal requirements? Hmm. I'm sure eventually I'll be able to put that together. Uh, The special waiver that Illinois gets applies to unemployed adults between the ages of 18 to 49 who are not disabled nor raising children. These, these people are known before the law as able-bodied adults without dependents. Prime, working year, earning candidates who should be participating in society, who aren't distracted paying by anything. taxes, aren't distracted by anything. I would be in this group of people. I am between 18 and 49. I am not mm-hmm. disabled, and I am not raising minor children. So I am, I am in this group. Uh, you are not. I have children. I, don't know yes. not, I yes. guess you, they're you, considered you minors, yes. One of them is. Yeah. Uh, so basically, what this waiver 
that Illinois gets the special exemption for the state of Illinois from the federal requirements comes to the time limit on food stamps for this category of people. If Illinois did not get the special waiver, they would be subjected to the federal limit of three months of food stamp assistance during any 36-month period if you're not working or in a training program. That's the federal law. During any 36-month period for people like myself, any 36-month window, you only get three months of food stamps, assistance, or SNAP, however you want to call it, mm-hmm. if you're not working or engaged in at least 20 hours a week of a training program. The special federal waiver that has been issued to Illinois gives them a straight pass on this. So you want is to talk this, about entitlements and subsidies being out of control. Is this, um, is this special waiver just for Illinois, or are there other states that get According this According to well? this story, it's... Only Illinois hmm. okay. that is getting this special favor. From 2009, it went into place. Yeah. That's just, I think there was something there that happened that um, may, be, uh, may be able to link who up. Who are the players then? Yeah. Let's uh, historians see. will surely work on this. this to connect the, the dots. Yes. Because yes. it's, awfully, it's awfully vague yes. and cloudy. This is right there with the Antikytherium device. It's, uh, people are still stunned. The transparency, we're having some issues there. <laughs> so right, the many who had supported Governor Rauner had hoped that he would not file for this and that those entitlements uh, would not be available to people in Illinois with the, the idea being not to strand people in the street or leave them in the gutter, but to force their hand in, a, in an overly generous entitlement state to actually go to work, to actually get involved in life, to or, be, to have some skin in the game, as they say. Or to just, you know, follow the rules that the rest of the country has to follow uh, regarding this. And again, if let me remind you, and if you're saying, well, the children will be good, this is strictly for able-bodied adults between 18 and 49 who are not raising children. So there's no, oh, but the children, Why that's would, not part of this. Oh, but they might need special needs. That's not part of this. Yeah, Able-bodied adults from 19 to 49, who or 18 to 49, excuse me, without minor children that they're responsible for. These prime. People who need to get involved in life. Physical 30 years. Yes. Those are, those are, I mean, and those, you look at the way that many economists will, will look at your career and they'll tell you that that, what, 40 to 55 or so, prime earning years, too, mm-hmm. if you're looking at retirement. But if you're not, and this is two-thirds of that. If you're not part of the system building and working towards that, those prime earning years aren't going to be prime earning years. You want to know one of the hidden reasons that social welfare programs that had fine beginnings are now going bankrupt. I look at Social Security. This is it. You have people in prime earning years, 18 to 49, who are not raising children, who are have just decided, you know what, we've got such a generous welfare state, I don't really need to get involved. I'm willing to subsist at X level so that I don't have to do, and pardon my French, a damn thing. 
and we let that continue to go on. Yeah, I'm not uh, calling into question the feeble, I'm the guessing, elderly, the minor, the, 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 the small children. I'm talking about able-bodied adults, 18 to 49, just like this bill gives a waiver to Illinois. For. Now, there's a couple of different things at play here. You're, you're, you're focusing on the end user, if you want to use the word user here. Well, there are so many steps along the way that, that get muddled. I would say that some of the focus should be on the, the, the beginning end of this where the exemption began, and you could probably make a case, again, opaque, murky, muddy, whatever you want to say. (laughs) Did this exemption begin as a request from a governor of this state from that time? Did this exemption arrive as just a... Thank you? Here's a thank you. thank you? Yes. Or a I'm feeling good about you? Right. How about this? Maybe I'll need a favor from you someday. Right. There are so many ways. Before you go to prison or after. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a political angle to this. Mm -hmm. So now you have to say, all right, why are we politicizing able-bodied people who don't seem to have any impediments to being a part of the working class? Are there are there people the the usual rounder bashers? Hi, are you upset about this? Mm-hmm. Hey, for, Springfield, are you piling on the governor about this today? Well, and is it partisan? I would like to know what the statistics are on the eighteen to forty nine year old able bodied non minor children raising uh, populace who votes Democrat. Considering it's it's because the people's this is the money, problem. we probably should. Yeah, this is the problem. These are the kinds of it's not people who are are elderly or who are are disadvantaged in life uh that that we help that we are worried about because when you have a society that is as able as ours is it, it is incumbent upon us to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. These are not those people. That's not who we're talking about. These are the people that the founding fathers warned. Once the populace knows they can vote themselves the treasury, meaning your mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. then the republic is over. And this this is the category. This, on the big stage, the 30,000-foot view, this is, this is the group that really worries me. These are 18 to 49-year-old prime working age single people who are able-bodied adults who have elected to subsist on the generosity of their fellow citizen rather than be involved. This is not the American dream. This is, no, this is, this is, I have a lot of harsh words coming to mind right now. I'm going to go with the one that maybe will, will hurt the most because parents have the way of doing that. They don't get angry at you. What do they get? They get disappointed. Mm-hmm. This is well, you're disappointing. not disappointed. You're angry, but I'm going to tell them this is you're, you're disappointing me. They are disappointing me. There is there's some anger, uh, but there is disappointment that people who you've won as and I've said this to people before. If you were born able-bodied in America, you've won the lottery twice already. <laughs> okay. You look at the standard of living around the world. Sure. And you're born able-bodied in America. You've already won the lottery twice. Now you're spitting on that opportunity by deciding not to participate in life and just subsist on the work that you do, that producer Josh does, that I do. 
and sit out life, it's, it's a coward's choice. So, so those of you who are in the middle of participating in this particular thing, who are listening to the show today, wear the shame that Sean is heaping right. upon you today, like the scarf that he has around his neck, the neck that is so handsome. I was going to say, you don't want to know what's in fashion? Scorn. <laughs> Coming up this morning on the morning meeting, Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, and what's holding steady in Illinois that may be dovetailing with the issue we've just been talking about. And Quaid is snapping papers at me, which is never good. What do you what do you what do you got over there? Well, I sent you an email yesterday. Uh, that we oh got yeah, from a, we got we got a, a we've got to thank a listener for mm-hmm. a great email that we got and the most meta election warning that I've seen yet. All that coming up this morning here on the morning meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio nine thirty WTAD. WTAD. I do not acknowledge that remake. I do not acknowledge it's a, Ghostbusters. Not a day old. I do, I do not acknowledge. Uh, there are many things that I do not acknowledge the remake of. <laughs> you, did you acknowledge the fourth Indiana Jones movie? That wasn't a remake. It was just But terrible. did you acknowledge it? I acknowledge that it was bad, and they continue on the streak of the odd ones being good and the even ones being not so good. Okay. Which is why we're all waiting for the fifth one. Okay. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid, alongside you this morning. Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There was one remake that I watched and I enjoyed, but they they didn't remake it verbatim. It was made in in a different tone, and that was... Wet, um, hot American summer? No, it was the the John Wayne movie that they did with uh, Jeff Bridges. Yes, True Grit. That was I enjoyed that, but it wasn't a a frame for frame remake. They kind of did their own thing mm-hmm, with it. Mm-hmm. I I well, and Jeff Bridges is just one of my favorite actors, period. So. Yeah, he was good enough that you didn't look at him and keep thinking he was going to be like, "Hey, man, right? There's a beverage here." That or that he might break out a grand piano and and start playing. Oh, yeah, there you go. You know, so he's that you. One of the fantastic actors of our time. All right. That's some more between the show segments for you here on the morning meeting. Uh, the one thing I wanted to get to before uh, uh, you highlighted an email that we had was this will dovetail with what we talked about in the previous segment uh, in our mind or in my eye. I won't put words in Quaid's mouth. The the overly generous overextension uh, of the entitlement programs that are, are running amok. Here in the country, state officials in Illinois say the unemployment rate in Illinois has held steady at 5.5% uh, in September and that the number of new jobs in the state grew. The uh, largest job sector gains were service. That's where we've seen growth when we see it at all. Uh, manufacturing and financial activities. Uh, both of those, manufacturing and financial, cut more jobs than they added. Service sector grew. What they don't report on is whether or not government grew. Now, I, well, I, I, are we at a point now where we just assume government growth? In Illinois, I would say that I could understand if you wanted to take that position. Uh, I, I, I'm reminded of all the hand-wringing and furrowed brows and uh, underarm sweats from when George Bush was president. And that's job, just disgusting. Job growth was—I'm well, trying to make a point. <laughs> job growth 
wasn't what it should be. Mm-hmm. All of these new jobs aren't real jobs. They're only certain types of jobs, and you right. can't that you can't count those. Those aren't mm-hmm. head of household jobs. Uh, read that into are that being further, if, if I may, just to interrupt your train of thought here, is that was coming from a particular political perspective. What they were trying to say was those weren't union jobs. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, I missed that angle on it. I was just going to point out the hypocrisy of mm-hmm. of playing with the numbers and the the types of jobs you pointed out uh, today, and how that's a wonderful thing. But twelve years ago, no, it wasn't wonderful. It was awful, and we people were sweating. Uh, in in our one of our failures in this constant stimulation, twenty four seven news environment, five hundred channels, you can listen to anything at any time on your smartphone is a lack of perspective and a lack of remembrance of relevant history. It's taken a couple of conservative news sites to go back and dredge up the five major times in this century, so in the last 16 years, that Democrats challenged the results of major elections. What? Yes. No, that never happened. Yes. They never, they always accept when they <laughs> lose. Always, and without complaint. Yeah, there's, there's never... So, Any type of uh, harumphing right. that goes on on the left, how dare you? So as much as I disagreed with Trump's statement during the debate as part of a debate performance, this isn't unprecedented in American history that somebody has said, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I'm not too sure. We're going to need a recount. We're going to need an independent source to come in and recount these. We're going to need to tell if that uh, Chad was fully punched or not. So Al- there are there are situations that have arisen. Donald Trump is not the worst person in the world for saying that. Al Gore conceded, shook George Bush's hand, and saluted the new president. You know that, Sean. And then he left <laughs> to go off and start his crusade against global warming. Yeah, I remember. Well, we were left- after he invented the internet. We <laughs> we were left with. We were left with the invention of the hanging Chad and what these people who were looking at these ballots thought they had meant to vote. Right. This this is when it got chaotic. Well, we think they meant to vote this way, even though there's a pregnant Chad over here based on the the, the way. First of all, I loved that election because it brought the phrase pregnant Chad into the lexicon. <laughs> I think we were working with a guy named Chad at that time. We were. And and I think we used it against him mercilessly. Uh, I had a list that was in front of me. I think I printed it on a different printer, so I didn't pick it up. But uh, in response to the Trump claim that the election could be rigged against him, uh, a survey by a uh, relatively conservative source was done, and they asked a group of respondents ways in which they were fearful that an election could be rigged. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do this from memory. I saw this about 30 minutes ago, so I'm not going to get every one. But the the number one fear well, okay. on the list was the misreporting of votes cast, meaning that there would be either a clerical glitch or a technical glitch in which uh, you went into the ballot box and voted for X person, and because of a technology error or something else, it actually got recorded as Y. Instead of X, now, if you're, that was the biggest fear. Th- this there are there are stories about that mm-hmm. almost every election, and not every right. four years. It seems like almost every two years there are stories about this type of stuff occurring. They're not they may not be widespread, but it seems like every couple of years you have one of these stories 
around a uh, big election. So that's the main one. That was that was, was the number, number one. Uh, I don't remember exactly what number two was, but taking the, the ones that stuck out in my mind in no particular order, people are less fearful overall. The, the ones that uh, people would vote multiple times, that people would vote and represent the deceased, those were way at the bottom of the list. The other, the other greater fears were intentional misreporting by government officials, destruction of ballots that were turned in so as to not be counted. We already had this problem with the, uh, and we still haven't figured out if this was real or a troll in Ohio, with the postal uh, representative saying that they were intentionally throwing mm-hmm. away right. Trump early voting ballots. It, it's those kinds of things where it's not, uh, it, it's not a coordinated dark conspiracy effort. What people essentially fear is is one person motivated either by personal interest or money taking advantage of their position and acting out in a, in a destructive way. There is it, th- this idea has kind of set in in the collective mindset. I'm looking at a uh, and this is from Politico from uh, a few days ago that 41 percent of voters say that the election could be uh, and I mean the air quote stolen. So mm-hmm. 41 percent is not a small number. There are no. people that that this is now not saying that they're saying it will happen, but it's on their mind. The most meta response to this is what I'm about to bring up now. Authorities, U.S. intelligent and law enforcement authorities, have been expressing concern that the illusion of Russian-based hacking attacks could undermine the upcoming presidential election by the illusion of attempted fraud. In other words, we are now worried that someone may not actually hack into the system, but that they may leave a breadcrumb that says it might look like we might have hacked in. Do you know whether we did or not? And Mm. can you trust the results? This is the most meta of threats I think I've ever seen on this level. It's kind of like when when you're messing with your buddy and he knows you're going to get him back. At some point. And he's paranoid about it Mm -hmm. and you just let him twist. Thinking that everything that happens is you getting them back. This is kind of what you're describing right now. Yeah, this is it. This is the fear of the fear. Mm-hmm. What the, the the political poll you mentioned was the fear of it actually happening and how it might happen. This is the fear of the fear. This is the fear of well, if they lay the breadcrumbs that they did actually hack in there, did they, or are they trying to make it look like they did but they didn't? So can you trust A or can you trust B? So now, but but now that argument isn't: Am I am I having an issue with what is going on? Am I having an issue with the players involved? It's I'm having an issue with myself. Yeah, and and can you trust what you actually see? This reminds me of great film from my youth, Labyrinth. David Bowie is the Goblin King, and a very young Jennifer Connelly. I think they've been talking about remaking that. No, they. I do not acknowledge. <laughs> I do not acknowledge uh, when she's uh, before the uh, two doors and she has to make a choice. It's kind of a, a famous philosophical conundrum where, like, I think in, in the movie, one's red and one's blue, and the one says you can always trust me to tell the truth but not him, and the other one says you can never trust him but you can't trust me either, and then you have to deduce sort of who's telling the truth based on the questions you're allowed to ask. So this is, that was what I was reminded of when it seemed like this, this threat or this illusion of uh, tampering that could then lead to charges of tampering, maybe if there actually wasn't any tampering, to begin with. This is all getting very convoluted. That shouldn't distract you from the issues. 
pay attention to the issues, let the federal investigators, let those who would investigate if there is a charge of tampering or rigging do their job. Do not be scared to go to the poll. Do not think your vote doesn't matter. It absolutely does. And even if you're in Illinois and it's going to be carried by Clinton, so many of your votes are so important down the ballot. Mm-hmm. Voting for senator, voting for state senator, voting for all of those issues means so much to the political direction of the country. You can make a huge impact with your vote, more so than just voting for the top of the ticket. All right, coming up this morning on the morning meeting, Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, next on WTAD. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Dennis Miller, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting. Here on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Secret, Quaid alongside you. Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican. Quaid's ready to kick off Fizzy Beverage Friday here. Give it the... Well, that was anticlimactic. Yeah. What'd you bring today? Uh, it's a it's a old fashioned uh, root beer Very with the Hall of Fame taste. And you get the rest of my chai out of that. All right, that's yeah. going to mix a little bit with the Try chai as I pour it in mm-hmm. here. But uh, I'm sure Craig enjoys the fact that we bring him on the show and then he listens to us pass a beverage around. Well, we you know we invited him to host his own show one time, and he showed up half an hour late for it. So we can't invite him to do that <laughs> anymore here on the morning meeting. Uh, Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, theiowarepublican.com. Craig, the Al Smith charity dinner happened last night. Uh, if you live outside of New York, is this just too much insider political stuff? This is a charity fundraiser for uh, the uh, Catholic Archdiocese in the New York area. $6 million white tie fundraiser last night. Candidates are expected to go have some fun, poke fun at themselves and each other in a good-natured way. People were worried this might actually explode last night. Well, look, I, this is kind of like the, the correspondence dinner where mm-hmm. the president where um, it, we pay attention because of the comedy level of it. And, and we're definitely talking about, about it today uh, because the media is freaking out about what Donald Trump did at this dinner last night. Um, so I think we are pretty much aware of this event. It's fantastic. If, if, if you don't watch, this is something I always, if I forget it's on, I YouTube. Uh, it, I actually uh, was watching the candidates' speeches and and muted the the Cubs playoff game last night. Um, so it's always good stuff. I'm glad. I'm really glad I did uh, watch it live last night. It's all it, 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 traditionally this is a break from the bare knuckle politics that occurs. Uh, I can remember in years past this being such a refreshing thing, but it almost seems like it. It, it and, and I know you spoke of it glowingly, but it almost seems like the the way it's being reported today isn't that breath of fresh air into hard nosed presidential politics. It just seems like the next chapter, the next page. Well, so the the the, the political pundits and and the you know the traditional media are out there all upset because Trump did get booed a little bit last night mm-hmm. um, because he kind of, he there was a definite edge to his remarks about Hillary. He basically had the opportunity in, to present it in a joking matter, but it was all serious hits on Hillary, all of the WikiLeaks stuff, 
he just rolled it on out there. And and they thought that was, you know, uh, unbecoming, and that's not what this is about. And and I, I went to Twitter, and I said, look, guys, you are missing the boat. This is brilliant. You guys in the media refuse to cover any of this. It's serious. Pay-to-play stuff from, if this is a Republican uh, being, you know, a Secretary of State who is basically operating a pay-to-play scheme that raised millions and millions of dollars uh, and handed out government contracts for those who pay, if that was a Republican scandal, they wouldn't stop talking about it. But with Hillary Clinton and with Donald Trump, we're busy talking about Access Hollywood and Billy Bush and all this stupid crap. But so Trump brings it all up at this, this thing. And so he forced them to actually cover this all you know, begrudgingly. But they are now having to at least mention all of these things that he brought up because they're true. It wasn't a joke. This is all true stuff that, that, that you know, Hillary has been guilty of, whether it be voter fraud, whether it be these, you know, hiring of individuals to go to Trump rallies, to cause chaos, all this stuff. And he just let it all out there. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I laughed at it. He looked like he had a good time doing it. Uh, Hillary and one of the, you know, uh, <laughs> Catholic uh, higher up sitting next to him was bug eyes throughout the whole thing. It was fantastic. Was I loved everything about it. Cardinal Dolan. Well, it? Dolan was uh, not the one who had the bug eyes. No, he was sitting between the two, wasn't he? I think that's because he yeah. called his seat the iciest place on earth, which I thought was a great <laughs> quote. Cardinal Dolan should run for president. I thought he's a great guy. <laughs> Uh, and I don't remember what the case is uh, about this, but do they write their own jokes, or, or does their campaign write their jokes? Or yeah, is... I mean, look, it's kind of like the correspondence, and their speech writers will spend a lot of time working on the material, and, and you know, uh, Hillary had some clever lines a little bit, um, and sometimes it's, you can tell. I thought Hillary was, you know, predictable, kind of funny, what you would expect, and it's stuff that I'm sure... Uh, political staffers on a campaign think it's really funny. Um, you know, Trump's was a little more edgy. I mean, Steve Bannon probably wrote Trump's remarks and maybe worked. I mean, just killer, you know, stuff to, to bring up. And and especially, you know, he brought up the fact that, you know, all of her anti-Catholic remarks brought it up to a room of the most Catholic room in America last night. I mean, it was Trump's ability to walk into a room either on a debate stage and stand in front of Bill Clinton and, and, and you know, perfectly and comfortably hash out all of his failings, and to do this last night at a Catholic charity is something that you don't see out of most politicians. They don't have the stones to do that. Donald Trump seems to not care, and I find it refreshing. Yeah, the uh, line that I thought was the winner was uh, whoever came up with the line for Trump when he said that uh, Clinton bumped into him earlier in the night, and she very simply said, "Pardon me." <laughs> that was good. Yeah, clever. That was that yeah, was good. Pardon me, and he says, "Well, I'll think about it, or we can talk about it after I get elected." Yeah, that then her line, uh, what what Trump sees when he sees the Statue of Liberty, a four. four. Maybe a five if she loses the torch and does something with her hair. I thought that was pretty good It seemed good like as it well. took the crowd a minute to get that joke. And I'm like, yeah. come on, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, what, what is it about Iowa right now? It seems like every week 
that that we talked to you, there is a story about Iowa being someplace that the Democrats are gaining ground in. There's a story today from the Wall Street Journal, and you're not quoted in this one today, uh, that that talks about men responding on behalf of their wives, and that there's this this Democrat groundswell that's not being accounted for in Iowa polling. It, oh. This is when, like, this is, you know, they'll ask me the stupid, to comment on the stupid stuff. And then, and then they never ask me in this article, which is, this is look, these are Democrat operatives spinning why Hillary sucks and, and can't get, uh, you know, traction here in Iowa. And so they come up, they concoct this story that these men, like, let me tell you, I'll just be blatantly honest. This is what's happening. So, okay, your wife doesn't like Donald Trump. She's offended by him. And, you know, you, you're at dinner or, you know, watching the news in bed or whatever you're doing, right? And, and what do you say? You're like, oh, you know what? You're right, honey. But you know what? You're still going to go in the vote and, yeah, and the voting booth probably vote for Trump. And you might even tell her, just like you tell the pollster, yeah, I could never vote for Donald Trump. But I still think you're going to do it because you don't have another option. Like, are you really going to vote for some Washington, D.C. staffer that you've never heard about, a career bureaucrat? No. Are you going to vote for crazy Gary Johnson? No. <laughs> They're going to vote for Hillary Clinton? Hell no. So I think this is just a manufactured story. All right. I don't know if you have a, a relationship or, or or something with Reed Epstein, but he's the one who wrote this article, and it's... It's different than what the, you know the usual drumbeat of stories that are saying that there's this Democrat surge all of a sudden in Iowa that's not being reflected uh, in the. You, here, look, I'll, I'll give you another clue. I would believe this if Hillary Clinton or Tim Kaine had been here. They haven't. Um, I would believe this if when they did come here, they campaigned in places outside of Des Moines. I might believe it, but they don't. The stories that are going on in Iowa right now are the Democrats. The Democrats. This is the line out of Democrat activists in Iowa that I know. Um, okay, Hillary can win the White House without Iowa, so let's ignore that. But my God, Iowa might turn into a red state because Congressman Rod Blum and David Young, two freshman congressmen, it looks like they're going to win re-election. And it looks like the Republicans in the Iowa Senate are finally going to win enough seats. And it's all because of, uh, there's, there's nothing on the ground. Talk around the state. There's not a lot of enthusiasm out there. And, and, and so, I, trust me, I, I, just, I just don't believe that the story about these men being guilted to vote for Hillary by their wives is true. I don't believe it. Well, let's talk down ballot a, a little bit. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the same night that the third and final presidential debate took place, the Chuck Grassley Patty Judge debate also happened as well. <laughs> what, a, why have on it on purpose. the why have it on the same night? And B, how'd that go? Well, number one, if you're the Grassley campaign, you have it on the other the same night, and then no one watches. I mean, here's the thing: this is true for Congressman King or really any any incumbent like Chuck Grassley or, or Jay Rancet. All this is is an opportunity. Debates, general election debates, are opportunities to let your opponent, who isn't running TV ads, who doesn't run money, anything, 
they get a bunch of free publicity because they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Patty Judge has been complaining, well, Tucker Ashley won't debate me, da-da-da-da-da. Well, they did this debate, and she was awful. Grassley ran circling around her in this debate. She was awful. The first question out of it was about Merrick Garland's nomination. And I thought she lost that round to Grassley. How is that even possible? She is an awful candidate. She doesn't even know what a sanctuary city is. She's clueless. Like, if you, if you want to have debates, then get a candidate that can raise money and, and make this an interesting race. They have not. It's all wishful thinking. And so Grassley debated her. I don't know anyone in Iowa who's like, you know what, I want to watch another one of those. Um, because I don't. <laughs> Grassley won it. It was clear. He's more engaged. He's more on top of things. And she took some petty pot shots. She basically attacked him from leaving, you know, he comes home. You know, he's making the point. I, I leave Washington every week, come home, do town meetings, and all night and I come. And she's like, you know, well, I'm from Iowa. I don't go to Washington. And I'm sitting there yelling at my computer screen saying, hey, are you saying that if you're elected, you'll have, you know, not only will you have no clout, but you're not even going to go? I mean, that's where the job is. You can't blame the guy for where the job is. He comes home every weekend. That's why we like the guy. Well, and, and you should watch the new Chuck Grassley ad that's out. I don't know if you've seen it on my uh, uh, Twitter page yet, but they have Ben Stein. Wow. It, it's Ben Stein doing the first Bueller thing, but instead of doing Bueller, mm-hmm. Bueller, he's doing Judge, Judge, <laughs> and it's about all of her missing votes, right? And then at the end, he, he goes Grassley, and you hear Grassley in the back, and he says, here, and then... Uh, Stein says, uh, he's always here. <laughs> Great ad. It's, it's fantastic. Chuck Grassley could literally probably run circles around her and probably the rest of us uh, as Chuck, well. Chuck, Grass, Chuck Grassley goes to TV studios, drops down and does 20 Does push-ups, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. He's in better shape Jack than I am. Palance, this, uh, like. Yeah. But, but, but if, it, you got to remember, Patty Judge's candidacy, the flashpoint that brought her uh, along was Merrick Garland. So if you can't even win that topic in the and debate. that's my point. Mm-hmm. Greg that's Robinson, point. the Iowa Republican, Wisconsin, number 10, comes to Kinnick Stadium this weekend. Uh, Upset how, how, alert. Ups- oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, sir. I upset like alert. it. We got Frisky Craig. Okay, <laughs> look, so how do they upset him? How do they upset him? Well, look, uh, Wisconsin has a really good defense, and but they're off. I mean, their quarterback has about as strong as arm as I do uh, at throwing the football. Uh, night game, Kinnick, and, and and this is a this is I think Iowa's best rivalry game, and you can basically. Wisconsin season <laughs> with a with a third loss in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, their schedule's two. been brutal. And I mean, I, I if I'm Wisconsin, I don't want to walk into this game because look, Iowa their offense came to life last week a little bit. I think this is going to be they can make big plays and thus score points. If the Hawkeyes can put up, who knows, seventeen points, they win this game. Greg Robinson, right. the Iowa Republican, seventeen. Is enough, it would seem. Craig, thanks for the time. 17-10. All right. The prognosticator. Mark it down, dude. Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican. Thanks so much, bud. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll wrap it up next on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff. 
moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. It's a great audio way to wrap up the week. Good work, producer Josh. Morning meeting, Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. Reminder, 10 a.m. Sunday. 10 a.m. Sunday on The CW. That is your chance to see Madigan, Power, Privilege, and Politics if you missed it last week. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm writing this down. I'll let you uh, cheat off my sheet later if you want. You had an okay. email from a listener you wanted to oh, yes. highlight. Yesterday, you brought up the deficit and how the president is out uh, uh, pounding his chest about how he's uh, reduced the deficit, and and uh, Hillary Clinton is as well. Uh, this listener put it kind of concisely um, off of your your, your statement about uh, the president reducing the deficit, uh, the two thirds reduction. And I'm just going to read from from the email here uh, through the. Uh, uh, though the two-thirds reduction may be technically correct, one must realize that the Obama administration drove the deficit to $1.4 trillion early in his first term, meaning that they spent $1.4 trillion more than what they were bringing in. Mm-hmm. So this amount is extremely high. Therefore, when you reduce the deficit by two-thirds, you're still at $467 billion, which is high. Right. By most everybody's standards. This is where you get into government accounting and they claim things that right. sound good but are so, actually still bad. So I like this. It's like yeah. running the 100-meter dash in a minute, then running it again in 20 seconds and bragging how you cut your time by two-thirds. Yes, but and, and the both times well are done. still crap, by the <laughs> yes. way. Meaning both results are still that way. A big showdown between the co-hosts of the morning meeting this weekend, though we won't actually be on the pitch. Quaid and I both uh, huge English soccer fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a longtime Man U supporter. He's a longtime Chelsea devotee. They will clash at Stamford Bridge in London, the home of Chelsea, yeah. uh, Sunday morning. I'm actually going to be on the road, so hopefully I can find that on uh, on a station that I can listen to. I told you I'd use my favorite words. Man U now five points adrift the title in the premiership, uh, two points adrift of Chelsea, and they are both one and three points respectively adrift of a Champions League spot behind Liverpool. Chelsea with 16, Man U with 14. Chelsea the favorites playing at home in this one. Not by a lot, though. I don't see any gear. Here's the stat that I... What? That I, I history, got a blue shirt on. History is in the making. Chelsea has not lost a match against Man U the last seven times they've met. They've never gone eight consecutive matches without a loss. Come on, you lose! All right, Red Devils run wild this weekend. We'll see you Monday. Morning meeting adjourned. Join us again Monday for the best talk in the tri-state. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.